Before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam asher kitsheno b'mitzvotav etivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Two times the Lord appeared to Moses at Sinai, both of them in physical ways. And by that, I mean he appeared in ways where he could be seen, he could be heard, he could be experienced. He was there at Sinai. It's important to grasp this because many people still have a theology that's, that's based on, you know, that, that God with a great big beard in the clouds, far away and removed from us, or the unknowable, indescribable, abstract God of philosophy, a God who is who is far removed from his creation and far removed from our daily lives. But one of the most powerful things you can do is to allow the, the truths of Torah and of all the scriptures to be the foundation of your understanding of who God is and what he's like. And rather than taking other people's opinions or what you remember as a child from storybooks, and from classes you took, it's useful to go directly to the scriptures in order to allow the scriptures to shape your view of who God is. Now what's interesting is the scriptures include many details about who God is that goes against what people want to think about who God is. I'll give an example. Uh, for some people, some people today are convinced that the Messiah brought an end to Jewish things. And that's because they haven't read the Bible. That's an example. Some people think that God is just an abstraction and that's because they haven't read the scriptures. Some people have Jewish ideas about God that aren't biblical ideas because... And some people who have read the scriptures still don't... still don't think that what the scriptures actually describe are correct. Many people will cherry pick from the scriptures only those things that fit into their preconceived notions. And this is why it's true that people can create God in their image. Because when you have an image of God, you can force him to be the God who you've already preconceived. And then you can ignore, disregard, minimize all the things in the scriptures that go against your prior understanding. Now what's radical about the scriptures, and the whole idea of reading Torah is based on this radical idea, it's that they are alive. They have life in them. They carry the life that God has from him to us. 
And through the narrative, through the stories in the scripture and through the teachings in the scripture, life comes to us, spiritual life. Truth comes to us. We learn who God really is and what he has done, and we may learn details that we have prior, um, in prior times either ignored, minimized, or not understood. So it's with this in mind that I want us to turn to Exodus chapter 19, because we'll read about the appearance of God to Moses. And then in a few weeks, we'll read about another appearance that also is challenging and filled with controversy. Exodus 19, verse 3. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called, called to him from the mountain. Moses went up to God. He also went up the mountain. He went up to the mountain because he knew God had come down and was on the mountain. And this was not a spiritual quest. Um, Moses wasn't on like this spiritual journey. You know, I need to find the secret of the universe. And I hear the calling of the mountain. And I'm going to climb the mountain and get to the highest place I can. And there I will be enlightened. It wasn't like that at all. Moses heard from the Lord that the Lord was going to the mountain and that the Lord wanted to talk to Moses. And so Moses went to where the Lord was. And that's why it says Moses went up to God. What, what's more important? He's going up to God. The pursuit of God is the key, the key motivation that will cause us to find him. If you seek for me, according to the scriptures, with all your heart, you will find me. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. First and most important, Moses went up to God. Second, he found out where God was, so he went there. But this is a powerful, powerful statement because it speaks about things that we may ignore or we may minimize, or you may say, oh, I know that. But unless you ponder it and you take it deeply into your heart and your mind and allow it to shape your understanding, you may not be able to communicate who God is to anyone else. You may just have sort of vague, childish ideas. It's important to know who God is and to be able to allow the scriptures to show you who God is and what needs to be in your understanding. God is not just the God out there. He's not just an abstraction. He is a God, the God of Torah, the God of Moses, is a God who can come down from the realm of heaven and enter into the realm of earth. He can come into the physical world. He can be as present as you are in this world. The Lord called to Moses from the mountain. Now in the passage we're going to read the Lord reveals himself in just a few verses as fire, 
as a personal presence and as a God who has a voice. So let's go in the same chapter to verse 16, Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder, lightning, and a thick cloud on the mountain. And then a shofar blast sounded so loudly that all the people in the camp trembled. Now this is fascinating. It doesn't tell us in this verse who's blowing the shofar. But for all of you who do blow shofars, I think this is encouraging. I mean, maybe it was the Lord blowing the shofar. That would encourage, I know, you shofar blowers. But maybe it was angels who are blowing. We don't know. But we do know this, it wasn't just a private sound that Moses heard that he told other people about. Everyone who was there heard the loud sound of the shofar. And what's interesting is they knew it was a shofar. It wasn't something else. It was so loud that it filled everything and the people trembled. They were filled with awe because they understood that this was extraordinary. This was a call from heaven to the people. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. So there was physical sound that people could hear. There was a response, but there was a purpose. Moses wanted the people to meet with God. They stood near the base of the mountain. Mount Sinai was enveloped in smoke because it was a latent volcano. No. Because there were forest fires. No. What's the explanation? Because the Lord descended onto it in fire. Why is Mount Sinai engulfed in smoke? Because the Lord came down in fire. He came down in fire. The Lord came from the heavenly realm in fire down to the earthly realm. That's what Moses is telling us. Now, of course, if, if you don't like that idea, you can, you can make this metaphorical. You can make it poetic. You can do anything you want with it. But the thing you should do is realize what you're doing is because you don't like it. You're trying to make the words mean something that they don't mean. The, the simple meaning, the Peshat, the simple meaning is this. God came down from heaven. And when he came down, he came down in fire. Now there was lightning and there was thunder and there was a thick cloud but the people weren't confusing the natural weather phenomena with the presence of the Lord. These things were happening because of what God was doing, and that's why everyone was filled with awe when they heard the sound of the shofar and it filled up everything. It filled the people with awe. Mount Sinai was enveloped in smoke because the Lord himself descended onto Sinai with fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently. And the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder. 
Moses spoke, and God answered him with a voice. So here you have God coming down as fire. Not to be confused with normal combustion. This is something else. It's fire, it's flames, but it's not just fire and flames. God is coming. It doesn't say this, but there are other times where we read about a fiery chariot, a chariot of fire. But this is a case where God chooses to come down in fire and it's to get everyone's attention and they know what's going on and Moses understands what's going on. The Lord is coming down to the earth. Now, this is not one of those, if you'll pardon the expression, one of those sweet Jesus moments. Do you know what I mean by that? I'll, let me explain myself. People have, you know, like this, this view that God's best expression is sweet Jesus. And it's like little baby Jesus has grown up to be, you know, I don't know, nice guy, adult Jesus. And he's coming down and like all the animals want to be around him. He's better than... <laughs> St. Francis of Assisi and, and better than Dr. Doolittle, you know, like, and he's just so friendly and charming and smiling with perfect teeth and blonde hair and blue eyes. Some people have that idea. That's not what actually is going on. This is not an appearance of sweet Jesus. This is the holy God who is bigger than everything and so full of power and so complete in his holiness that even to hear the sound of announcement of his coming through a shofar fills the people with fear, with awe. People aren't going like, this is going to be a great time of worship. They're shaking in their sandals. It's holy. And it's touching the people to the very depths. Touching so deeply that the people are ready to pledge everything to the Lord and to say, anything you say, Lord, we will do. And you know that when God touches you like that, you are in trouble. Because what the Lord then will tell you are things you don't even want to do. And maybe you didn't mean that you wanted to include those things. But because of his holiness and because of his awesome presence, because of the effect it had on you and your awareness of that, your only response was, Submission to him. Oh God, anything. Anything. The shofar gets louder and louder and Moses spoke and the Lord answered him with a, with a voice. With a voice. So remember five ways that God revealed himself to Moses that we looked at recently as fire, as a personal presence, as God who has a voice, as God who 
is wisdom and has ultimate authority. <coughs> and fifth is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in this passage, we see the first three happening simultaneously. The God who comes as fire, he comes as a personal presence. He comes as one who has a voice. He speaks and Moses can hear. This is profoundly important. God has a voice. He can be heard. He can say words that you can grasp. He has a voice that is distinct from all other voices. And when he spoke to Moses, Moses knew who it was. Now the first time, you remember the burning bush? Moses was curious, but he didn't know who was talking to him. He was curious, but he didn't know what was really going on. And he was more curious than he was in awe. And that's why he approached the burning bush that wasn't being consumed. It's like, what's going on? And the Lord says, this is a holy place. Take off your shoes. That was a surprise to Moses. He didn't know it was a holy moment until the Lord said, this is a holy moment. But at this time at Sinai, everyone knows. Everyone knows this is a holy moment and everyone knows who has come down from heaven. No questions about this. Moses isn't saying, well, wait a minute. I know the burning bush God. But who are you? No, it's absolutely clear. The Lord has come down to Sinai. And Moses wants everyone to meet the Lord. And the people are filled with such awe and such concern for themselves, they don't know that they can survive. And so they take a step back. But that's another story. I want you to focus on these details so that they can begin to shape your own faith and the life of faith that you're living because the revelation of God gives definition to our relationship with God. The details that are in the scriptures are important. They're, they're not insignificant. Sometimes people read details that they're familiar with and to be honest with you, they're, they're bored when they read the details. And so they just sort of skim the details. I think any one of us can do that at different times. We're sort of in a hurry. It's like, yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that. Okay, show me something new. Uh. When you get bored, you're actually treating the scriptures as if they're not alive and as if they're defective that there's unnecessary detail in the scriptures. But when you give honor to the scriptures and you say God has been very concise and sometimes sparse in the details that he gives so that we can focus on important things that he wants us to know. There's a reason for it. It's to draw our attention why does God want us to know that he can enter this world so that we can know that he's the God not just of heaven, but the God of this earth 
And every religious system that, that says God is more God out there than he is here is not true to the Torah and the revelations of God from the scriptures. God is just as real here as he is in the heavenly realm. Think about the implications to our faith and the life of faith. The God that we serve, the God of Israel, is personal. He engaged Moses as a person. He engaged Israel as a person. He called Israel into a relationship, not just into a religious system. Many people today use the word faith as a synonym for religion. Some will say, well, I'm of the Catholic faith, or I'm of the Jewish faith. But that is not the way that the scriptures use the word faith. Faith has to do with a trusting relationship where those who trust God want to be trustworthy to God as a reflection of his trustworthiness. So it's not just a matter of believing an idea. It's a matter of allowing God to show himself faithful to us. And when he does, to take notice of it and to keep it and to allow that to shape our understanding and our perception of God. God is personal. Think of the implications. Faith touches us personally. It's not just a matter of inheriting what your parents gave you. Though parents, it's good to give an honest spiritual legacy to your kids. It's very good to do that. It's necessary to do that. It's part of their formation. And if, if, if you do it well, it will have a profound impact that will touch them uh, in the deepest of ways. Faith is personal. It touches us personally. It's important for us to understand this and to understand also that God has a voice. Why does the scripture tell us that God has a voice? It's so that we can understand that he can be heard. Shema Yisrael. Here, listen. What if God can't say anything? What's there to listen to? What we read in the scriptures, in Torah, and in the prophets, and the writings, and the Brita this is not just a new law book. It's not just a new Jewish version of Hammurabi's uh, code of law. It's not just uh, an old Jewish version that precedes the English Magna Carta. It's something else altogether. It's, it's not just like the American law books, our regulations, our laws, our constitution, our bill of rights, all those things that go into our legal system. The word of God is more than that because the purpose of the word of God is to bring you into life with God. And not just to explain rules to you, but to show you who the ultimate authority is. 
so that at the very least you can get that part right in order to make correct steps towards him. If you are the ultimate authority, God has no claims on you. If God is the ultimate authority, he does. God has a voice. You have spiritual ears. Every one of us has been created in such a way that we have the capacity to hear from the Lord. We can hear him, we can listen to him, we can turn to him, we can engage him. It's so important to grasp this so that we understand what's our responsibility. How do we live for God? And it's also important to understand what can get in the way of this kind of relationship. One thing that can get in the way is uh, just making up your own religion. Everyone can do this. You can just say, well, I don't believe this and I don't believe that and I believe this part. One of the hardest things to do is to accept God's authority that what he wants us to know is what is important. And then to say, that's even more important than what I think. Another thing that can take the place of the relationship is our own religious traditions and practices and the ones that we embrace. But you'll notice this, that Moses at this moment doesn't really have religious traditions and practices to fall upon. He's doing something much more radical much more controversial, and that is he is in pursuit of God directly. So he's not saying, well, wait a minute, Lord, we can't do this until I light the candles. <laughs> or, Lord, when I go up to the mountain, what kind of kippah should I be wearing? He's not asking those kinds of questions. He's being drawn to the the rawness of faith and, and some of the surprises that trusting God can have. But, but we can tame God, we can domesticate him, and we can force him to fit into our religious traditions. And the focus on those traditions and practices can become a substitute for a direct relationship that involves trusting the Lord that involves seeking the Lord and being directed by the Lord and following the Lord. I want to turn to a question. What reveals our faith? If God is revealing himself, what reveals our faith in God? And I, I was musing on this question the last few days to find parallels between how God reveals himself and how we reveal our faith. And so we can look at three qualities, uh, fire, personhood, and voice. That's what I want to focus on. Our fire reveals our faith. Our dedication, our commitment, our motivation, not just because of momentary enthusiasm, but because of deep commitment. I think everybody understands the term fire because we use it as a synonym for commitment. When you say someone has real fire, what do you mean? They are sold out, they are committed, they are involved and engaged, they're all in. 
and you can use as an alternative a flash in the pan. So the difference between fire and a flash in the pan, flash in the pan is momentary and then it's gone. Yeshua has great commentary on these matters when he talks about the um, seed and the sower and the four kinds of soil. And he describes what can cause a person to lose their fruitfulness or to never become fruitful. And starting with enthusiasm is one of the things that he points out. People start with enthusiasm, but then the cares of this world or the opposition from the enemy or other priorities that they have, the busyness of life. All of these things can keep them from bearing good fruit. And so it's not just being enthusiastic, it's being committed, having real fire. Our fire reveals something about our faith. Our personhood, the, the whole realm of every aspect of our being, our personality, our temperament, our interests, our will, our mind, our heart, all of these are ways that we can reveal our faith. When we allow every part of us to engage with the Lord, then we're recognizing that he's a person and so are we. We have many different aspects to us. Now, some people don't like this part. They like to engage God in the areas that they feel comfortable in. Cerebral people say, you know, I like to study. Emotional people say, I love to worship. Some people love to serve in this way or that way. All of those are good. Each one is good. But what's necessary is not to limit ourselves and to say, I'm only going to worship God or serve God in the ways that I'm comfortable. Moses tried to put himself into his own box. He said to the Lord, you know, Lord, I'm not a good sp 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 speaker. If we understand that he was stuttering. And he said, you should pick someone else. And the Lord basically said, I picked you. Live with it. God calls you in all your personality in all of the aspects of your being. But what if you're an introvert? Oh, introverts are so comfortable saying, well, you know, I just don't do that stuff. But let me tell you what introversion and extroversion means. It has to do with how you recharge and what takes energy from you. The extrovert gets energy by being with people. The extrovert loses energy by being alone. The introvert recharges by being alone and spends energy by being with people. But you can't use introversion as an excuse to live a life without people because there is no life without people. Look around. There are people in your life already. The last detail, our voice. We reveal our faith with our voice by speaking to God, by talking to him, by, by opening our mouths and saying things to him and not just thinking about them and not just keeping them internal, but vocalizing to God, talking out loud to him. 
and also speaking to other people, telling other people about God, about our experiences with God. As well, we need to have a listening response to the Lord, hearing the Lord and doing what he says. Now, if you want to hear more about these details, I was able to go over them last night in, in more detail. And I encourage you to listen to the podcast if you want more detail on, on these aspects. But I, I want to close with this idea that every part of you can be useful to the Lord. Every part of you, even if you're shy. Shy people can be used by God. If I say, well, all the shy people raise their hand, you know they won't. (laughs) But here's the thing. If you want to be a hermit, you can do this on your own. If, if, if you want to go find a cave to live in, you can. But if you want to be in the body of Messiah, you have to be with people. You need people. People need you. We need to be together. And so we have to get over shyness in order to face this reality. So I'm sorry, shy people. I didn't mean to end on that note, but let it be the last thing that you have to deal with today. So you can go home as like, oh, I was looking for the anonymous, shy life, and now it's been destroyed. Let it be. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your word that's active and alive. Thank you for revealing yourself to us and for opening up to us who you are and what you're all about, and let that change us and shape us in all new ways. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ye'era Adonai panavelecha v'yichonecha Yisa Adonai panavelecha Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.